Okay. Uh, we are now recording. My name's Janet Lee, and I am the hostess of the Spoken Memories podcast, uh, which is a podcast about family, fun, and friendship, and whatever else comes to mind, but mainly those three topics and people that we know and love. And today is July 14th. 14th, 2021, and I am in San Diego talking with Charles A. on the phone. He, I believe, is in Maryland, and um, anyway, so Charles, thank you so much for being willing to do this and participating. I know it's um, it's late for you there. It's probably about 7.30 right now, so p.m., yeah. um, long but day. So let me just ask you, I'll start off by asking just a couple questions. Like if you would just tell us a little, the, uh, us listeners, a little bit about you and where you were born and raised and, um, I don't know, that kind of thing. Uh, if you, okay. Go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, I was, um, I was born in uh, a little town called Morgan, North Carolina. I was the oldest of eight children. I had uh, three brothers and four sisters. And I grew up in the area that's about 50 miles east of Charlotte, North Carolina. And then I uh, graduated from high school in Morgan. And then I went to uh, North Carolina State for one year and studied architecture. I, I was trying to get into academies, but, but I uh, had a scholarship for North Carolina State as well. But then after one year, I went to the Naval Academy and graduated in 1961 and in June and then in that fall I went to uh, Penn State where I first met Griff and then um, we were after Penn State we were off and on when Griff was down in South Carolina we went visited and different things and kept up off and on um, Later, I went to Vietnam, and um, had, we had I had a daughter, Marty, that lives in Jacksonville now. And then after Vietnam, I uh, adopted some Vietnamese children, four, and then Ann and I got married after I got back. I mean, well, it was a couple of years after I got back from Vietnam, but I met her and we dated, and 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 then I completed my. Air Force career in 1985, after 24 years, and then I worked in the defense industry up until this past year. Actually, I terminated my little bit that I was doing in May of this year. So that's sort of my history, but to get to Griff, uh, he was a godsend to me because I got out of the Naval Academy, and I knew... Uh, somewhat about the Navy because that's what they indoctrinate you about. I did not go in the Navy because I got sick on ships and got ship sick flying and Air Force offered me uh, a graduate school and I wouldn't have to do either one of those things, fly or be on a ship. So I got to Penn State and I met this guy, uh, Griff Griffin, and he was, he he was like a brother to not just me, to a lot of the people there. We had a senior military guy, but I, I don't think I ever met him. And he never gave me any information or any help. He was very busy. My, I suspect, I think he was probably in the ROTC and had plenty of work.
work to do there besides these students that Air Force was sending to graduate school. But Griff uh, took me under his wings and really educated me about the Air Force. And he was like somebody you really looked up to. At that time, 1961, the last war had been the Korean War. And Griff had been in that war and had been in a lot of dangerous jobs and all kinds of interesting things about modifying airplanes and flying up over Russia and all these sorts of things. But um, he kind of helped all of us uh, graduate students. He he had us out his house. He uh, he was um, he was one of those guys that you couldn't help but look up to because he was like and full of ethics and integrity. He was he was honest about everything, and he didn't tolerate anything that would you might say be shady or anything like that. He was straightforward and he was helpful to everybody. I remember all the times that a lot of the people took flying, uh, had to get their flying time in to get their flight pay. And Grip was always after him. He had his own plane, airplane. And he would tell him, you don't go, if you go up there and the weather's bad, you don't fly, you come back. Don't let those people say, tell you to keep going. You'll get out of it. Don't take any risks like that. That's not what you do. So he was, he even did things like um, got all of us to teach us about investing, which was nothing to do with the military. He had something called the Cotton Pickers Investment Club that he organized, and we put money in and and in the stocks and stuff and different ones, and he would advise us. And, of course, Griff knew how to fix and put anything together. He built TVs, radios, all kind of stuff. But then his socialization with us was super. Like that very fall, he was big into sports. And that's when we met uh, Cosette. Cosette invited us all out to her house and would cook, make big spaghetti. Uh, and we just all have, Griff would invite all the young people that didn't have anything else to do to, that was up there, you know, away from family and stuff like that. His house on the weekends was full of people. And I don't know how his children thought about all these people invading their home all the time, but we got to know the children too and, you know, played with them and stuff. Uh, I remember Martha and Nancy were older, uh, and then there was, you know, Jackie and and Janet and Mary that were younger and they were they were small and doing the things that kids do and I always I guess I really learned how to, to be as much of a I was never as good as probably as Griff was but to be a good father he he was he had rules and strictness about it but he didn't he wasn't mean about it to his kids he just a matter of fact he had to do it this way I mean, uh, uh, Martha, you probably, she's probably uh, talked on this same um, blog thing you have, but she was more an um, uh, adventurous person, and Nancy was more subdued, and, but the, 
kids all had their own personality, and Griff knew how to interact with. And so did Cosette. She was so such a a great mother with those children, showing them how to do stuff. Always so patient with them. And Griff was too. He would be patient uh, to teach them any little thing and and stuff that he caught them doing wrong. He would basically let them know that he didn't agree with it or didn't like it. But he wasn't mean about it. He was always understanding that children were children. But um, get back to Griff and his Air Force stuff. He, um, I'll tell you one little story. He cared about us all. And one time I had a, um, I put money in a, a parking meter. And when I was getting a haircut, in fact, the people in the barbershop actually gave me the change to put in the parking meter. Anyhow, it showed that it didn't work right, apparently, and the policeman gave me a ticket, and I went, ended up going to court, and I couldn't argue the, the justice of the peace or whatever. Out of the ticket, I told him, you know, the people in the barbershop said, well, they weren't here, and I so I said, and he, and he said I had to pay him a $10 fine, so I, I, was, I wouldn't pay it. I thought I was, you know, I was young and stubborn and stuff like that. Anyway, they put me in jail, and I thought it was a good deal because they were having to spend a hundred dollars a day to keep have somebody guard me because I was the only one in there, and they had to order my meals from a restaurant and all that sort of stuff. But Griff found out I was in jail, and he went and got my wife and got him to get down and paid the fine to get me out. And he came and told me, talking through the window, Charles, you got to get out of here. The guy that's in charge of this. Uh, unit up here. If he sees in the paper like I did that you were in jail, you know, it's going to be a hard thing. So Grip kind of hid all that information. I think he hid the paper so the guy wouldn't even know and got my, uh, that was my first wife, Louise, to pay the fine and get me out of jail. See, he, it's like a father. He wasn't going to let me get in trouble, even though he agreed with me that they they were cheating and it was dishonest for them to do that. He he was a bigger person than that. He wanted me to get out of the jail so it wouldn't hurt my career. Because as I said, when I went there, I had I was a brand new uh, 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 second lieutenant, just three months out of being commissioned and didn't know much about the air, uh, military and all that sort of stuff. But Griff did. And he, he was such a seasoned guy, and he'd ran outfits before. And so he was like that about just, just wasn't me. He was like that about all of the young officers up there that were going to school. So anyways, I'd say that the two things that stand out was how he mentored people like me to try to help them be as best they could. And the second thing, how to be a good father and be a good husband. He and Cosette were so compatible. They got along, and they just basically were showed you how to be a married couple and get along and and take care of each other. I mean, like I know uh, Cosette. Like at first, she wouldn't even know any of these people become students like me, but then she immediately became friends with us and helped us and helped my first wife and became an advisor as well. So that was that part of my life with Griff, and I could go on and on about how much I learned to 
uh, respect him the, w- the way he was as an officer. He was what you'd call to be an ideal officer. He was a leader. He knew how to lead people without using, you might say, the military rank. He, I don't ever think he ever used that at all. He just used his leadership to influence us. And so from then on, I kept up with Griff for years and years, but only sporadically. Like, as I said, when he was in South Carolina, we went down there and built a house on the lake. And um, then I actually ran into him, I guess, a couple of times he was in the, near us in, when I was in Vietnam. And then at other times, and in fact, the most blessed thing for me was before Griff died, that previous May, he and his current wife came to, I had a, a timeshares up in the mountains of North Carolina, and we were able to spend an entire week just reminiscing and going over things in the past. And he was so in love with his family. He had hundreds of pictures of all the things, and he kept up with them on. He was a lot more... Um, uh, literate in uh, with the IT stuff than I was, and he, he was all you could do the Zoom type stuff to talk to the kids, and he would have me talking to him on that, that thing too. And so we got to spend a week together before I guess it was that following December when he when he passed. But anyway, he's the kind of guy that once you've known him, like what I did at Penn State, you. You, you never forget him. He becomes a model for you as an officer, and he becomes a model for you as integrity. He, he was, uh, and personality-wise, he was so even, and I don't know if he was with all his children, but when I was around him, he was so even. He didn't get excited and get mad or upset. He was so calm about everything and would explain stuff to whoever about what, what if they were wrong or right. Anyway, um, I don't know if I should go any further with all that, but that's my story about Griffin. He will always be somebody important in my life because I learned he taught me so much at Penn State that I always thought, how fortunate could I have been to have run into somebody like him when I was just a person just out of uh, my four years of college and going to graduate school, which is a mess in itself, because I always thought maybe I'd have been better off to wait a while to go to school because I was in a fog a lot. But with somebody like Griff to be around you and set, keep you settled, that it just it, it impacted my rest of my whole life up to now. So anyway, uh, Janet, that's part of it. I don't know if I need to cover anything else. Well, let me just ask you a couple questions um, that uh, occur to me. What's the age difference? Because you, you, yeah, I'm right now. I'm eight, I'll be eighty three next month. Okay, and, so. I, and Griff was ninety a year and a half ago, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so about so that's, eight to ten years difference. Yeah. So. Yeah, he was. Um, he came across as like a. You know, a very settled guy. Here I was, just a young, you know, I was just a young, I'd been, I wasn't, you don't know much about the military when you, just because you went to school for four years. Um, And uh, he was 
came across as a very settled, and all the people looked up to him. Mm -hmm. It was like there was this guy that we supposedly was the head of us, the senior guy, senior military guy, but I don't think anybody hardly ever knew anything about that because everybody sort of flocked to grip, Mm -hmm. and he was the one that provided advice and how to do things and stuff like that. By military as well as he was obvious. He was a really a hard working. I don't know if you did, you ever saw your daddy studying, but he was very intense about studying. He worked hard in his schoolwork. You we know, were in different programs. He was. I didn't. I don't. I may have seen him, but I was pretty little at that time oh, when, yeah, when y'all were attending Penn State. But he was pretty studious all his life, and he liked. You know, you kind of have to do that in order to be an expert on the IT stuff. So he was always doing research and learning and studying, you know, during during TV shows. Yeah, he, um, did. he would. And he did really complex stuff, Janet. Yeah. He, he built, a, he could, I have a, had a radio for years that he built it, with like could, could broadcast overseas. And he built TVs and stuff. And, and, tr- thought, and stereo record players. He built us a record yeah. player. The Heath Kit brand. Is that what you had? Yeah, Heath Kit. Yeah. Heath Kit. There you go. And, yeah. uh, and it's like, you know, I was just struggling in school, but he was doing school stuff, but he was interested in all these other things. Mm-hmm. It had a wide, wide variety of stuff that he was interested in, from politics to uh, technical stuff and things that had nothing to do with his his course of study, he was, yeah. um, he read a lot, right. and he got to know some of the professors. I know there was a professor there in the department that he kept up with for many years mm-hmm. after after we were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had a lot to, you know, um, recommend him in terms of his interests and his skills and abilities, like his uh, interest in sports you know, and he he used his interest in sports and his ability in sports as a team building uh, activity and literature. You know, uh, he would read us stories and humor. You know, all those yeah. kinds of things that oh, just yeah, it was yeah. And he was so calm about some of the stories he told us about his experience and uh, particularly in uh, in Korea. He was so calm about it, and it was like, Jesus, that was scary. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just matter-of-fact about it. Mm-hmm. And the stories about other people that, like, that was in the reconnaissance business. He came up here one time when they finally de- declassified that stuff, and they had a big symposium at a defense intelligence agency, DIA, at that new building they have. It's not new now at Bowling, uh, old Bowling Air Force Base. And I took my son and all, and they was a whole audience of not just grip, but they must have been at least 15 other people that had been on all these uh, very secretive things that were now declassified. And some of the stuff that he had talked about, you didn't know it, that it was the details of it because it was classified. But then you got to see what all he had been part of. And all these people respected him. I mean, he was respected throughout that recce community. Uh, And, I mean, he did things like they modified the airplanes 
they weren't supposed to mod- even have that airplane in South Korea. And he, they modified those planes to make special cameras and also to have extra uh, range for flying. And it was like, wait a minute, I thought you had, you had to have a, know how to build an airplane. You just can't <laughs> start rebuilding an airplane. That's, you know, Lockheed and people do that. Um, and who could, who could be uh, uh, involved in modifying an airplane where it can take, go a lot more range and had cut out places on it to put cameras and make all that work? Because you, when you're flying over, you have to cut the cameras on and all that, all that kind of circuitry. You say, boy, he was into something very technical and, and in the details to be able to do all that. And, you know, he got uh, he got complimented by the president for for the pictures that he took. Um, so it was just we didn't know some of that stuff at the time. But the part that he could tell about was uh, just uh, he said it in such a calm way. It was like Jesus, what a, what a a scary thing position he was in. But go ahead. Yeah, he was, it was, it seems to us scary, but, you know, by the time you met him in, was it 1961? Yeah, I met him in 61, and then I left in 63. He'd already Uh, been, that was history for him. Those overflights had already come and gone, and, you know, no wonder he was, I'm, I'm only speculating, I never talked with him about this, but no wonder he was, calm and studious and uh even i mean can you imagine being in the cockpit once you seasoned what you'd say by by that where it's new to us but he had endured it and lived it and he was it didn't you know he didn't get excited about it he just was matter of fact about it um but you're right i mean he had spent yeah, by then the Korean War was, had been over about almost ten years, and so you know it was history to him. But it sure wasn't the people that he would told fascinating stories about. Not just that when he was run, at a different bases he had and the jobs that he'd had. Like he told me more recently about uh, when they were in um, one of the bases in England, England. And the uh, guy that became General Jones eventually became the chief of staff at the Air Force, but he was in charge of Europe. And he was after him to cut down on use of, of um, energy. And there was somebody on the base that that was using a lot of energy. And, and Griff went, used his uh, reconnaissance airplanes to fly over the base and sent, using the IR sensors to pick up the houses that were using a lot of in, um, energy. And he had his guy that was in charge of that to go tell the people they got to cut down the use of their energy. And the people said, now that's the story that Griffith told him. He said, the wife said, no, they want it. They want heat. They like it hot. And he says, well, that's okay. He called the lieutenant colonel in that was the white husband. He says, I know your wife wants you to be hot, but we've got to save energy. We have a mandate from the 
you know, I, if I was going at different times in my life, these, those stories that he would tell me about stuff like that would come back to me, but I couldn't certainly sit, sit right here now and remember all of them. Like I can, I just remembered that about that reconnaissance. Mm-hmm. They flew out of Yubon or Yudorn over in um, Thailand and flew up all the, along the Ho Chi Minh Trail and all that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which I was in a, in a different part of that problem. I was, um, I was in a, evaluating the sensors for the 7th Air Force commander uh, over there. They sent me and another six or eight people over to evaluate this system that was uh, developed reconnaissance on the ground. You put sensors on the ground and in the trees and stuff and tried to pick up seismic trucks moving along the road or in the case of people, they could listen to them talking with these uh, systems that they dropped in the trees where people were truck parks and stuff like that. But um, but Griff was actually flying planes that mm-hmm. would be shot at. Mm-hmm. And um, so he, mm-hmm. he had some stories about that, and that which is, you know, different than Korea. But oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. over the years that I've known him, and we, a lot of times we didn't see each other, but we really did talk to each other for lots of times over the years by phone. Mm-hmm. Griff was really faithful to his friends. And, you know, like you put a, don't think about calling somebody. He would call me every so often, and we would have a long chat. And uh, so I really appreciated how he was much better at being, I mean, I even have that problem now. My wife's telling me, well, you ought to be calling some of your friends. And I'd say, well, I, I think about it, and then I forget about it. And I think about him, and just like I thought about Griff, but then he would call. He was very faithful to his friends, and you saw that. And he kept up with all the recce people. I mean, he loved it. All the, he had thousands of people, it seemed like, that he kept up with um, and did things with, and his flying yeah. and stuff. And he created he created activities for people to come together, like reunions for the rec yeah. reunion. Not all of them, but he would get in there and set something up, and uh, as a way to have people all come together. And yeah, get, and even had you kids. Yeah. I mean, you were grown by then, being part of that, helping do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Had, I wasn't ever in recce, but he, I went to the recce, a couple of those recce things. You know, and you guys were helping do some of that. We liked um, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, you have any more questions or anything else I should cover? I can't think of anything else. I think I'll let you. I'll let you rest now. Um, I, other than to just say thank you, uh, I appreciate your. Uh, well, you know, I memories. remember you, Janet, as yeah. a little girl. You must have been. I don't know. Must have been like eight or something like that at Penn State. And Jack was and was when you running around there. all the yeah. time doing stuff. Yeah. And the, they had the two who well, and Mary, I guess, was the youngest, wasn't she? Yes, she's a year younger. So we're three years in a row. Jack, Jack, yeah. Mary. Uh-huh. And then we had uh, Martha. I, I just always loved Martha. She was so adventurous. She did stuff like she would sneak around and smoke. And um, Griff knew it, and, but he didn't get mean or mean about it. 
you know, she would do stuff like that. Uh, and, uh, and Nancy was more, um, uh, studious. Oh boy, and, and settled. She almost acted like she was five years older than she was. Mm hmm Yeah. And, uh, yeah. so you kids, you kids were such a, a treasure for me when you were at Penn State and the way Griff handled you, he made you real people. You know, he didn't, yeah. like, put you aside as not pay attention to you. Mm -hmm. He seemed to always, you may not remember that way, but he seemed to always be interested in whatever you were interested in doing mm -hmm. to talk about or do. And um, so he really was, uh, if you watched him, you'd find out how to be a real father. Oh, and wow. Cosette was just such a wonderful person, too, to sheep. She just was so social. No matter who came in that house, they were they felt welcome immediately, and she made them feel welcome. She made she used to cook for all of us on the weekends, or sometimes we ordered pizza, you know, mm -hmm. somebody to pick it up, uh, or she cooked spaghetti and stuff like that. Things that we could all uh, have for because seemed to me like you know you exaggerate probably in your own mind but it always seemed to me like on the weekends there was always a crowd at your house could have been you know dad yeah, was dad was a big draw and mom and the whole you know comfortable life and the casual you know authentic accessibility yeah. that was available i think um i think it was very attractive to people who you know who didn't have their own homes to go to and maybe were lonely or not able to yeah. travel and I think a lot of people looked for, enjoyed being around Griff because he always had good advice. I remember those things about him. Tell those guys that like to fly down to, um, down to Harrisburg or the base that was down there. They had to fly over the mountains. And one time, some of them got uh, crashed in a storm. You know, they went, it was a yeah. boggy and stuff, and they ran into the mountains. And Griff told them, you know, I've told you many times, you don't do that. You turn around and come back. Good for him. You don't just push yeah. it. You don't take a risk with an airplane. Pilot instructor. He instructors. was so, uh, uh, such a good pilot and can do all the things. He was still, in spite of all that, he was very careful. It's, you know, some people yes. that would have been as good a pilot as he did wouldn't have worried about stuff. But he was, he was, he was very strict about what you try to do with an airplane or not. He was an excellent pilot and uh, an instructor as well. So he knew, uh, he knew, and he cared, and that's really you yeah. Know, he built the plane that mm -hmm. one he had there at Penn State. Mm -hmm. He he built the darn thing. It's like an Air Force officer knows how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, my son was in the Air Force, and he was a crew chief. He might have been able to build a plane, but I sure as heck wouldn't have done. <laughs> well, it takes all it takes all kinds, you know. It takes a village, I think they say. So, Charles, yeah. thank you so much for participating in this. And uh, okay, and I wish I could do more, but it's like there's so many things that would have to would clue me into telling yeah. you about Grip. Mm -hmm. But he, he was just a a guy that once you knew him, you just always had high respect, guard for him, yeah. and um, just loved him. 
That's that's it, really. That's what it comes down to. So, And we feel the same about you. So thank you again, and you take care. Okay. Thank you for inviting me to be part of this.